I want to speak to you this morning on the greatest freedom I titled it. I guess we could give it a title, different title if we wanted to, and anything that people like to title things. I'm not the best at that, but I try to find something that goes along with what I want to say. But I do appreciate everybody that put all this time into it. Uh, it was great to be able to go down and, and talk to uh, Chief Douglas and to share with him. and for, I'm, We did, I think we spent about 20 minutes just talking the things of the Lord before we ever talked about what we were going to do here. And and then also uh, the time, uh, Brother Kevin, Brother Mark, there those people working in uh, the technical aspect of it. Uh, they're going to be ready for an asylum when we get finished, okay? Uh, they, they, all the last minute changes and last minute this and last minute that, those things happen. But they always do a great job with it. A song years ago said it best when it spoke of our freedom in America. It said, freedom wasn't free. In his book, Profiles in Courage, the late President John F. Kennedy wrote of Edmund Burke who made the statement, all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. Our forefathers never intended for our liberty to be a liberty that freed us to be lawless, immoral, animal-type individuals. Rather, they fought to free us to spread the faith of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to talk of how to make our country a strong country, a great country. They promoted a work ethic that allows an individual to expand and accomplish, to excel and prosper. But freedom was the idea of the freedom to do right. It was not ever intended to free us to do evil. And they never fought to help their progeny to one day believe that government or anyone else owed them a living. But rather... They had a personal responsibility. Freedom is only a good thing if parents, teachers, and government leaders are moral, honest, and ethical in all their business, their family, and their human relationships. Having a philosophy that is the opposite of communism and humanism and socialism, those things all, all seem to say, What's yours is mine. But rather, our attitude is the attitude of Jesus Christ, giving unto others as their need requires, but never, never, never breaking the biblical doctrine, the biblical truth, the, the biblical standard that if a man won't work, then he should not eat. I'm not opposed to politicians and those <clears throat> that may 
<coughs> excuse me, may be present in our services today, or maybe they're listening by internet, or we'll watch this service later. Often when we speak of crooks among politicians, it's one party speaking derogatorily of the other party. And that is about the extent of it. In religious circles, many have betrayed the trust, the honor of the position by their immoral actions. Immoral, whether it's sexual, financial, or in breaking their given word, their ethics. I'm ashamed to say that too many times that has happened in America. I highly admire the people of law enforcement. They uphold the laws instead of breaking them. Now I'm ashamed to say that too often their record is much better than the clergy in many places in this great land. And that is a shame. In contrast, I am glad, be it preachers, law enforcement, that are in a trusted position when they get arrested or publicly shamed for their immoral, unright actions, lawless actions. I'm glad and I hope there's always shock, infamy, and shame when one is caught doing those things and is rightly arrested. I never, never want to leave the front pages when that happens, even though when it does happen to a preacher, they say that of all preachers. When it happens to law enforcement, they try to say that's the way all law enforcement is. But I never want it to be accepted. I never want us to have Hollywood leftist liberal views of those things to say, oh, so what's the deal? It is a big deal. So I'm glad when those things are met. And I must address that although there's a high standard, and many of our law enforcement have upheld it, very well, and many Americans across this land, and many of you listening here under the sound of my voice, we, we must also understand there is an enslavement from which all men, every person born into this world, is, is held. They're born into that enslavement. I speak of the enslavement of sin. In John chapter 1, verse 1, we read the beginning of a great story, of a true story. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. In all things, all things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. The Word, God, is Creator. He was in the world, verse 10 says of John 1. And the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But, and this is the key to 
freedom from enslavement. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born. Not of blood. Uh, you're not born a Christian. Nor of the will of flesh. Oh, I'm just going to just work so hard that I will will myself into heaven. Nor the will of man. No, not going to be that idea of uh, we've devised a way that uh, we can get around to everything else and we can get you in free. He says, but of God. Not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And then he says this, verse 14, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, Jesus Christ was God Almighty. God is the Spirit, John chapter 4 tells us. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And that spirit lived throughout all eternity past. That spirit was the creator. In Psalms 33, we're told that he spoke these worlds into existence. We're told in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that he upholds all things by the word of his power. He's God. He's almighty God. He's God come in the flesh. But he came with a purpose. For Matthew chapter 18 verse 11 says, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. That's us. Without Christ, we're all lost. In Romans chapter 3 verse 23, he says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That includes this preacher especially. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Some say, well, you know, I'm not really much of a sinner. Let's just say that you committed three sins a day. You say, well, I don't know that I do that many. Well, the Bible says, him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. The Bible says the thought of foolishness is sin. It tells us that if we have hate in our heart towards someone, it's equal to murder. He tells us to look upon a woman with a lustful desire is to commit adultery. And on we could go about the things that an all-holy, sinless God says is sin. And yes, we're all sinners. Have you ever been around that person that's a busybody? They just got to tell about this guy, and they got to tell about that guy, and they, they get on the Internet and try to search and find whatever they can wrong with someone. That's a busybody. First Peter chapter 4 tells us they're on the level of a thief and a murderer. Wow. That's in God's eyes. Okay. Now, if you and I were the judge, we probably wouldn't put it on that level. But you're not going to stand before me, and I'm not going to stand before you. We're going to stand before God one day. That's where we're going to stand. But let's just say three sins a day. Okay. I'm going to be 70 next month. Do you realize that that's three sins a day is over a thousand a year? I've already hit 70,000 sins. Probably double of that if you talk to my brothers. 
triple that if you talk to my wife. Okay, so uh, we, we are sinners. I mean, I would call that a sinner, wouldn't you? My works are not going to save me. My goodness is not going to save me. It's not going to do that at all. The word sin means to miss the mark. There's one other word here I want to say about what sin is. In God's sight, Revelation chapter 21 verse 8 said, All liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire. Have you ever told a lie? <laughs> so, what? Yeah, well, I've told one, but you know, I'm not really a liar. Okay, have you ever killed anybody? No. Well, if you kill somebody, are you a murderer? Well, I just killed him. I mean, I just social kill. You know, I feel like they need it, you know, or something like that. I'm just a social killer. What is that? No. Kill one person, you're a murderer. Tell one lie, you're a liar. Okay. In Romans chapter 5, one, uh, chapter 5 verse 12, it says, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death has passed upon all men, everyone that all have sinned. Now, have you ever thought about that, about Adam's sin, how serious it was? Don't eat of that fruit of the tree. Have you ever told the kids, if you get that candy before supper, you're going to wish you were dead. Okay. Now, we don't kill the kids for getting a piece of candy before supper. But for eating a fruit that looked, boy, that looks good to eat. The Lord said, in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Did Adam and Eve pass away that very day? No. So was God wrong? No. See, God is a spirit. We were made in the image of God. It's not our bodies that are made in the image of God. We've got a spirit. That spirit is made in the image of God. That spirit that day was separated from God. You know, the word death does not mean ceasing to exist. It means separation. That day, their spirit would be separated from God. And they would go to the place in Matthew 25, verse 41, that tells us that death and hell was, was created for the devil and his angels. But they'll be cast into that without a Savior. People without a Savior are born separated from God, needing a Savior. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us that as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. In Romans chapter 6 verse 23, we read... The first part of that verse says, for the wages of sin is death. Again, final, complete separation forever from God in the lake of fire. You never cease to exist in that lake of fire. That spirit always continues there. It can never escape. It can never uh, cease to be tormented day and night. It is there forever and ever and ever. In the wages. And God makes sure that he pays his wages in full. For the wages of sin is death. That is grim news. But the gift, not something we earn, the gift of God is eternal life. But it's only one way. He says, through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
That's why it says in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is your only way of salvation. And so the eight wages was to go to hell forever because that's what we earned. But the gift, Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The reason Jesus Christ, who existed as eternity passed throughout all eternity past, there was never a time where he began. He was always a spirit. He was a creator. But he left heaven's abode and took on human flesh. When he was born inside of Mary, when he was formed inside of Mary and he was born, he became the actual seed of God before it was God who in a supernatural way placed that in her. He was born without sin. See, we're all born with that sin nature. We inherited it from Adam. He was born without sin. He would be tried. He'd have to lead a sinless life, and he never sinned one time. So that when there was a sacrifice made on the cross of Jesus Christ, he died for all sin for all time. For three hours, men tried to do what he, they could do, but he was still breathing. He was still talking. Even though he was head to toe blood, and man had accomplished all that he could do, then the Father took over the crucifixion. And for the next three hours, he poured out wrath on the human spirit of Christ. You say, why did he say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's why. He had always in his human life had help. I mean, in the wilderness, angels came to minister to him. At Gethsemane, angels come to minister to him. But on the cross, there's no grace. He's paying my penalty. He's paying your penalty in full. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 describes it this way. He became sin. That is the object of God's wrath. He became sin for us who knew no sin. (laughs) That we who are sinners, you see, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's how we become... We get saved is through him. It's not of ourselves. And so he died that day on the cross. And he was buried. And three days later, he rose up bodily from the grave. And so Romans 10, 9 says it this way. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. And shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. You know what that really is? It's so easy to overlook it. But it tells us something. That thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Lord is the name of his deity. He was God. Jesus is the name of his humanity. He was God come in the flesh. You must believe that. 
that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead. His deity rose up his humanity, literally his humanity. He says, Thou shalt be saved, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Now remember we said at the beginning, we've all sinned. The righteousness that we need to appear before God to enter his heaven needs to be absolute righteousness. Absolute righteousness. So with the heart, when we think of our heart, we think of our life. For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness, not our righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. Ephesians 1 says that we are accepted in the beloved. We are accepted in Jesus. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. Then verse 13, a great verse. Because I keep thinking, why would God want to save me? But he says, for whosoever. One day I could put my name in there. For whosoever. For if Andy Bloom would call upon the name of the Lord. Believing that Jesus died for his sin, paid the penalty for his sin for all time. That Andy Bloom could have everlasting life. And that's the same thing for you. It's the same thing. A lot of these people in this auditorium are saved. Not of their own, it's them. You know what I'd have to do if I was going to try to save myself? I'd have to do this. I'd have to be able to die, be buried, raise myself from the dead... Make my body eternal. Go up into heaven. And then I'd still fail because my blood would have to be a sinless blood and it's not. Therefore the blood of Jesus which cleanses us from all unrighteousness. It's his blood that he sees. And so my friend, when it comes down to it, it is simple as this. Believing that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and was buried... And rose from the dead. You call upon him to save your soul. And God who cannot lie says. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But now understand. Chief Douglas just a few moments ago as well as Paul. Both said the same thing. And they said. They raised their hand. They take an oath. See, coming to Jesus Christ and say, yeah, yeah, I believe that, so what? No, that's, the devils believe and tremble, but they're going to hell. No, this is a commitment like marriage. It is a commitment as marriage would be a commitment. Ephesians 5.32 says so. So my friend, if you're willing to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, His promise is, he will give you everlasting life. And I want you to have that opportunity. Let's bow our heads, please.